suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome to your listener, episode 276 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. Um, should be a relatively stock standard normal podcast, I would think, <laughs> except it might go for about three and a half hours because there's a lot to talk about. Um, I'm Trevor, aka the Iron Fist, with me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day Joe, g'day listeners. Paul the Twelfth Man. Greetings Earthlings, greetings gentlemen. And Joe the Tech Guy. Evening everyone. Yes, dear listener, so... It was a good one last week. It was good to have Robin mm. and Frank. That was fun. So um, just to give you a bit of a heads up of what we're going to be dealing with, we're going to have a little bit about Victoria, just briefly, a bit about the Australia Post Watchers, a bit about Clive Palmer. Then we'll get into the Noosa Temple of Satan and the, the sort of... Um, Blowback. Yeah, the <laughs> repercussions and uh, things that happened after that. Mm. And a little bit about um, Trump and a little bit about various other topics after that depending how we go. So there's enough there for three hours. Scott, are you still getting up at four o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Right, okay, hang in there. <laughs> so, um, well, I guess we should just mention congratulations to Victoria. You've made it to the other side and you're now released in some form mm. from tonight. So be a lot of relieved people, well, obviously. Two so. days with a zero count. Mm. You know, now... It's not been eliminated, don't worry, Paul. It hasn't been eliminated, but it is one of those things that you... It will be. Yeah, well, I know that. But anyway, they've got it down very, very low now so they can afford to take their foot off the brake. And so this is what they've done. And I do not understand the churlish carry-on by the PM about that, you know, because he did go burko when Dan Andrews said he was going to delay taking the foot off the brake and that sort of thing. Um, you know, he only waited 24 hours to take what's, the foot of the break. What's another 24 hours after four exactly, months? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's... So anyway, I think, um, it's, uh, you know, I've talked to people in Melbourne just anecdotally and it's it just seems to be one of those things that's really dividing people um, as everything seems to do these days and some people are still very much pro-Dan and others... Uh, refer to Dan the Dictator and people wider and further apart. But he's got a lot of time uh, before the next election. So anything's possible and I wouldn't be betting against him winning. Uh, There was an interesting statistic came out in a few different tweets and memes uh, during the week, which um, this was from, maybe it was from the 20th of October, which said that um, um, back in July... Victoria had 723 cases and the UK had 763, so only 40 more in the UK. And um, and as of, I think, the 20th of October, um, Victoria had one and the UK had 15,650. So, um, so that's an interesting comparison of where they started off at the same number and have ended up at completely different spots. So... I'm noticing amongst people who previously were arguing lockdowns don't work, 
that the um, the the basically their argument is morphing into something else now, which is that lockdowns shouldn't be the primary focus of COVID control, or lockdowns cost too much economically, and that um, it's in the tally up and weighing up of the pros and cons, they're not worth it. But the lockdowns don't work argument is kind of it's uh, dead. It's, it's it's off to the side and not being emphasised as much. And uh, those who are arguing that point seem to be trying to argue other things because clearly lockdowns work, like it or not, it does what it's supposed to do in terms of stopping the infection spreading. And you can argue these other things about primary focus and other measures that we can argue about the cost you know, economically, but you just can't say they don't work. So they're clearly sort of moving on from that. So uh, that's what I've noticed as I'm observing social media commentary. Um, Paul, do you want to chip in or not? Do we just let that one slide? You don't care. Oh, look, you know, I, I don't agree with you, Trevor, that, mm. I mean, the evidence for lockdowns, and, and, you know, I don't have statistics to roll out, but, you know, looking at different countries, like Taiwan, they had a sort of semi-lockdown for several weeks, I think, and then they just let people go about their business as per usual with lots and lots of contact tracing. But just just on my point that lockdowns don't work, I don't seem to hear it as much as I used to. Yeah, maybe. But, mm, you know, the, the Taiwanese did not lock down for an extended period and yet they had a very low number of deaths. Which might mean that other things work as well. Well, they but, had a very extensive and, yeah, yeah. Pa- which might and efficient... That, which might mean that other things work. But that's well, not an argument that lockdowns don't work. I suppose lockdowns will stop transmission. If if you stop people mm. contacting each other completely, then I suppose you'd have to say that... And that's what we've been saying. But look, I've also heard other doctors, Trevor, say that mm. um, the virus will spread one way or another. But that's a separate argument. That, that it's is, not exactly a separate no, argument because no, no, it's related. No, that is an argument that says you can't keep doing the lockdown and eventually you have to come out of it and it will spread, blah, blah. So. Yeah. It's a really an argument you can't maintain a hard lockdown, which is not... Yeah, but the other not. side of it is that when you're locked down, you, you basically do all kinds of damage to other and aspects. And that's a completely separate argument as well, to the cost of a lockdown. That's when you start saying... But yes, I don't but, want to get bogged down in that one. Sorry, I don't want to get bogged right, down in that one right. straight up. But um, let's move on. And but, I think we'll have a special lockdown but it, episode. But it's a, bit, it's a bit cute just to say lockdowns work and let's leave it at that because it's mm. a really complex issue. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's cute. I think it's, I think just, it's so self-evident that they work that you now have to shift the argument. If you're against lockdowns, it's not because they don't work, it's because of cost or you can't maintain it or you think other things are better, but you just can't say the Victorian lockdown did not do what it was intended to do. It clearly did. Didn't do it very efficiently. I'll have to... I can say that. They're down to zero. That's like... It well, just seems for so how long? Sweet. For how long are they going to be down to zero? Because well, they're uh, going to be down uh, to zero for the next few weeks, and then you'll have a you'll have a few ca- you'll have it a, few cases. a few cases, few weeks. But, but, well, but you it, don't know that. Because, I don't know, but yeah. I, I'd almost be willing to to bet you know a case of beer that within a couple of weeks they'll, they'll find some more. Okay, but what you are now saying is because we're coming out of lockdown. We can't maintain this and it will research. Well, this but is the whole which, point. But no, but that's a completely different argument to saying 
The lockdown no, it itself isn't. doesn't work. No, if you say lockdown works, it achieves its goal. Yes. Now, if the goal is to defeat the disease, it's going to fail ah, because as good, soon as you good, stop good. lockdown, good, it's all over. Good point. Red Rover. Good point. And this is the rewriting where, which I'm also seeing people sort of doing as to rewriting what was lockdown about, what was its purpose. And this is where people are saying, well... Uh, a sort of a rewriting of, of the purpose of a lockdown. And one view is the purpose of a lockdown is so you get your shit together in terms of contact tracing and um, other mask wearing and um, getting your health system organised and all those things while you're in shutdown like and you're getting that stuff organised. Mm-hmm. That is an argument as to what the purpose of a, of a lockdown is. People are being disingenuous when they're saying, oh, the lockdown was intended to just solve all of our problems. And nobody ever suggested it was. Nobody ever in favour of lockdown said, lockdown is the only answer and it will be the answer. It's a... It's a rewriting of, of what lockdowns were designed yeah, for. Yeah, but why bother doing it in the first place? If you do it for so many months, you get down to your desired number and then you you undo lockdown and then the numbers start climbing again and you have mm. to find another strategy anyway because now, there's yeah, no I, way. I, I don't think they're going to go up as 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 high as you think because <laughs> remains to be seen well you remains to be seen i agree with you there but you've also got mandatory mask wearing in victoria whereas you don't have mandatory mask wearing in new south wales and queensland Can I- so yep. i honestly believe that will have a very strong downward pressure on the rate of transmission. Can I just say, I didn't really want to get into a big lockdown one right at the beginning of this because it's going to drive people crazy. Okay, but you but, mentioned but you- people in Victoria being polarised by this. I hope they're fucking polarised because I was absolutely devastated at how docile Australians are when their civil liberties are just taken away by decree mm-hmm. by a state premier mm-hmm. and nobody's out in the street saying, no, these are our freedoms and you may not take them. Because they get arrested if they did. Yeah, and that is outrageous. <laughs> Paul standing for the Absolutely Army, outrageous. The next election. Come on, Australians, it, get, your, get, get a bit of backbone, get out in the street. Here's a call out. And tell our politicians that they are our elected representatives, not our masters and not our dictators. Here, okay. Sometime down the track, we'll do another lockdown <laughs> episode. And yeah, I'm we'll not do, available that night. We'll, we'll do it as a... <laughs> We'll do it as a solo lockdown so that uh, people who don't want to hear it again don't hear it. So nah. let's move on. All right. Let's move on for this one. Right. Um, where were we? Oh, um, Australia Post. Uh, that's been in the news because one of uh, well, about three or four executives got handed some expensive watches as part of four a Four executives got mm. expensive watches. And... Nice PM, ones too. PM found about, out about it and was outraged in Parliament and yeah. basically said, well, if she doesn't stand down, whoever's in charge, well, I'll make her stand down. And like completely outraged at this, at this sort of thing. And gentlemen... Faux outraged, do you think? No, I think he was, was genuine. genuine. But um, I think he's hypocritical. So, Scott, what, what do you think? Well, I think Peter Van Olsen said it best. He said, the PM is appalled by the CEO of Australia Post handing out four three-grand watches to executives as a bonus. She's been stood down. In other news, the government paid $30 million for land owned by a Liberal donor valued at $3 million. Mm. Anyone lost their job for that? Mm. Nope. You know, mm. it's 
hypocritical of the highest standing. It's mm. bloody outrageous, actually. Yeah. And I do not understand why the PM was carrying on about this. Australia Post has gone through some difficult stages and lockdown and all that sort of stuff has forced people to buy stuff online, which has boosted their bottom line. And Australia Post has, yes, admittedly cut services. You know, they have reduced the number of days that they deliver letters to people's letterboxes. But you know what? That's a dying part of the mail industry. You know, individual letters, they lose money hand over fist on them. Well, well, they've been corporatised. They've yeah. been told, start acting like a corporation rather than a public service. Mm. I said, okay. Let's Not buy what? some watches. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's what they do, isn't it? You've got they to say it. to people, behave like a, like a, a corporation. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you've also got to remember, ladies and gentlemen out there, that, you know, the bonuses weren't just exclusively to the execs. They gave bonuses to all the staff of Australia Post. Now, they were pretty low-level bonuses for every, for your average shit-kicker out there was barely 500 bucks. Really? For this for this same reason? This, yeah. The same reason that the people got the watches, some other people got some just yeah. small cash. Is that yeah. right? Wow. Do you know who should have got the cash? Who? Josh Frydenberg. Well, Frydenberg reckoned he should have got it, but yeah. Why does he think he should have got because it? Because the whole thing is about that they managed to get uh, three of the four banks to agree to uh, subcontract out some mm, of their work but, to Australia Post offices. Yeah. And it looked like the deal wasn't going to happen until basically, allegedly, Josh Frydenberg got involved and, and mm. sort of um, stood over the banks and said, you're going to do this. And that's what sort of got it through, which was kind of an, an ordinary deal. Would he anyway. have that sort of clout? Well, that's that's what the word is. Yeah. So it seems like if anyone wants to get a fancy wash, it perhaps should have been Josh Frydenberg. I would have thought the Nationals um, would have been very happy because, you know, as we know over the last number of years, uh, banks have been closing their branches in country towns. And so people have been left without banking services. Um, so the you know, post office can... I don't know exactly how much to some degree compensate they can do for that. now, though. I yeah. don't know how much of the service they've taken over. But anyway. But something. Look, yeah. But in the scheme of things, um, well, there's an article from Crikey which is basically saying this, this government of Morrison and, and his predecessor... Um, so much corruption and, and skullduggery has gone on that they've really set a tone for the public service and, and also business interests and other people that just look after your mates, get whatever you can for yourself. What's it matter? You, you know, you might get a rap over the knuckles and have to say sorry, but life will go on as normal. Like, um, there's a really good article, dear listener, in the Michael West Media blog where he's basically listing the different rorts that have occurred in recent times. And so we had the sports rorts affair. We had the regional growth fund, which followed the sports rorts playbook. We had the coalition awarding non-compliant drought grants. We had community development grants, which were a $2.5 billion slush fund. Uh, We had 80% of funding for female sport going to coalition seats. We had McCormack breaching the lobbying code to award $2.6 million uh, to an airport grant. Um, we've got all sorts of regional infrastructure grants program targeting coalition seats. We've got road funding directed to the coalition marginal seats. Um, 
He's listed about 72 different things here. A gold miner who got a million dollars for a power plant was going to build anyway. Um, a minister's role in a link to a grant to ineligible businesses. Um, Indigenous affairs funding diverted to lobby groups opposed to native title. So basically this government has just set a tone of corruption and just doing stuff for your mates. So it's little wonder that people in senior positions in our public service and our other corporations are getting the idea this is what you do. Well, it probably explains why they're dragging the heels on ICAC. Mm. You know, they don't want to have anybody that they have to answer to. Mm. It's really bloody crook. Mm. I actually talked about this a little bit on Q&A last night. and um, You watched Q&A? Well. You're a masochist. I know. Mm. I took one for the team. Mm. But, look, they were talking about the um, things like this and how they undermine the community's um, confidence in our system mm. of, you know, representative democracy. And Tanya Plibersek actually, I thought, spoke very well on the topic. And, you know, Tanya... Um, Sometimes loses me, but uh, she had me on that point. She spoke very well about the importance of of the community just having confidence in the system, in the process, mm. you know. Mm. Um, anyway. Yeah. So there's no confidence and this also just creates an atmosphere of you can get away with this shit if you give it a go. So why not? So speaking of getting away with shit, I just don't understand how Clive Palmer can get away with his current antics so dear listener in this household uh as you know we subscribe to the career mail <laughs> we actually get a printed copy because my mother reads it every morning and on every edition in the last two weeks either at page two and three sometimes page four and five is a double page spread by clive palmer where um it's an advertisement saying uh, this is for the upcoming state election in, in the team colors too mm. <laughs> Saying, don't risk a Labor death tax. A death tax could be Labor's plan. And um, other advertisements have been quite upfront in saying that Labor's proposing some sort of inheritance tax. And I'm going to play you a little clip from... Now, this is Clive Palmer's wife, and um, and she's the deputy leader or maybe the leader no, she's the leader in Queensland yeah and uh, this is an ad that they're playing uh, on different media at the moment so here we go she's sporting a good moustache so here we go I am deputy leader of Clive Palmer's United Australia deputy Party leader. at the state election the United Australia Party wants to stop the decline of our living standards Labor has destroyed Queensland's wealth and prosperity Labor wants to pay their $120 billion debt with Labor's 20% death tax, a tax on everything you leave to your family when you die. Enough is enough. Stop Labor's 20% death tax. We can't have four more years of hard labor. Stop Labor's 20% death tax by voting Clive Palmer's United Australia Party at the election. Authorised by Anna Palmer for Clive Palmer's United Australia Party Gold Coast. So my mother reads the paper and she goes, Oh, that bloody Labor government. You know they're bringing in a death tax again? I said, what makes you say that? Look, it's here in the paper. And I said, you realise that's just an ad by Clive Palmer. Well, it's there. He's saying it. I said, you realise that's they've never, they've, they've absolutely categorically denied having anything to do with the death tax. It's not part of their policy. It's never been mentioned. It's just bullshit by Clive Palmer. 
Oh, I didn't realise that. He's going to get... It's going to cost Labor a lot of votes. I and, dear listener, it's not part of Labor Party policy. There's no whisper of it. There's never been any talk about it. It's not like somebody raised it and it was knocked back by somebody else. There's nothing. And the whole idea of 20%, like, that's just a figure plucked out of Clive Palmer's ass. Mm. Like, there's nothing to this. It is a bald-faced lie. Am I allowed to say, and he has a big one? <laughs> On the podcast. <laughs> and um, I just can't believe, Scott, that in the lead-up to an election, you can just spruik complete and utter falsehoods that are going to affect the result of the election. I mean, we've got all sorts of things about flyers that you must say who you are, written and authorised by, and yet, he, what's it matter if you can come out with complete bullshit? Mm. I don't understand that it's not an offence. It's... I don't understand that either. I mean, I, I thought that there was truth in advertising laws and that sort of stuff around it. Clearly not. No. You know, it's a load of garbage that, like I said a few weeks ago, that Anna, that uh, what's her name, Anastasia Palaszczuk, she doesn't have the guts to do what's right. You know, she doesn't, she won't tackle it. It's, I, I just. It seems to me that they don't. I've, I'm on the Labor. Oh dear, listen, I'm a member of the Labor Party. I get these emails. And they sort of don't talk about they're going to take Clive Palmer to court and get some injunction. It's mm. just basically tell your friends this isn't true and it's not happening. So it doesn't seem to be any. There doesn't seem to be any legal avenue to stop this. So I'm okay with this. With any says, oh, Labor have destroyed the economy, or you know these sort of generalised um, sort of things where you can go, well, that's a matter of opinion as to whether they've destroyed the economy or not. Um, a, but, but, but there's clearly, this is not a matter of opinion, that Labor has no, um, uh, nothing on the record for 20% death tax. He does have the words could be. He does on this one, but on, well, you heard the video, you heard the audio, yeah. and there wasn't any coulds or maybes in no. that. But it's politics, and I, I, I don't know how you could possibly devise a set of regulations that decides what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable in political advertising. How would you do that? Well, that's clearly a lie. It's his opinion. It's not his opinion. He said, you know, he's actually put in there that he's that there is a part that. No, sorry, that's the wrong ad. I was looking at. If you go back up, if you could just go back up there, sorry, Trevor. Yeah. yeah. Um, Don't risk a Labor's Labor's death tax. Okay, that's that's in print. But if we go back to the audio that Trevor just played us, where she said that she would, that they're planning on paying off their $120 billion deficit with a death tax, that is a load of nonsense. And yeah. that is a complete barefaced lie. I don't understand why he's not in court. Yeah. It's his opinion. <laughs> but seriously, how do you decide well, well, in political well, advertising well, well, what so is I'm, a lie? I'm fairly sure that in the UK historically you couldn't say anything about the other, your opponent. You could only talk about your policies. Well, that might right. be the way to go, that's, Joe. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. There's a way of drawing the well, Don't say anything about on, the opposition. But you want to be able to talk about the opposition parties. Like, for example, if the opposition party, for example wanted to balance the budget and you're saying we're in a recession, we need a deficit, you need to be able to say the opposition is planning on, their policy is 
to... I, I, I think you just concentrate on your pros and not their cons. But you need to be able to... Mm. to Make a yeah, comparison. I do, think, yeah. I do mm. think that... Okay, if you were to take this, then I don't think Clive Palmer could have mentioned the death tax because Labor had never brought up a death tax. But mm. if, however, they're saying that we've got to have this level of debt, Clive Palmer could very legitimately criticise that level of debt... And then after that, he would be asked, what would you do about it? Mm-hmm. In which case, he'd sort of say, ah, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of waste in the public service, blah, 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 blah. And then they'd say, well, how many public servants do you think need to be sacked? And he'd say, well, nine, because we just got to remove the waste. So, you yeah. know, it's a load of shit, but it's it is the way he would answer it. It, it is a very difficult um, to draw the line. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dire Straits says, trouble is, Trevor, where do you draw the line? And that's... Well that's, well, that's what we're here for, die straight, is to find that line. Because, say, for example, the you know you might accuse the opposition. Oh, they said they're going to spend a hundred, you know, nine hundred million on a road to Cairns. They're going to spend five hundred million on extra teachers. They're going to spend X amount on stuff. And you might then say uh, the opposition is going to leave us with a five point six billion dollar deficit. Now, that may not be part of their policy statement that they're going to create a $5.6 billion deficit. But you could say, I've done the maths and based on all their promises, this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to end up with. So it can't really even be something where you limit them to, you can only talk about the opposition's policies if it's actually written down in their policy framework, because you need to be able to also draw conclusions about what their policies will be. Um, but this is just such a shameless, bald-faced lie. It's a little bit like uh, Labor. Shorten did very well in an election where there was a big scare on... Medi-scare? Yes. Where there was um, thoughts like Turnbull got into real trouble and just had a very skinny victory against Bill Shorten because the rumour was out and Labor was happy for it to be out that uh, Libs yeah, had, I, an, I had, Libs had like- the intention of... Of, of privatising Medicare, yeah, which is a load of shit. Which was and, shit at the time. So it was a lie. It was, it was, yes. a, it was a barefaced yes. lie. And what was even yes. worse was they and sent... they shouldn't have been allowed to do it. They sent text messages that they put in the um, who it was from saying Medicare and then went on... I forget what the message was behind the text message, but it went in through and said, oh, you know, the coalition government plans on privatising Medicare, which is all a load of nonsense. And I mm. honestly believe that Labor should have been hauled over the coals for that. Mm. Mel in the chat room says a blatant lie isn't an opinion. Mel, tell me, is, is Labor doing anything about this? Because it, it seems to me that there is no action available to them. And I just think this one crosses a line somewhere. In It's so specific about their proposal and um, I, I, it just can't. But, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later in this podcast about truth and how to determine the truth. Like, this should be the wonderful age of information where where the ordinary person can have access to information and mm. can then take on the power based on utilising that information. But it's been so contaminated that the benefits of the information age are now disappearing mm. because we don't know what's true anymore. We've We've got all this information, <laughs> but we can't tell... Not all, of it, not all of it is truth. Indeed. And bad actors have shown to be more than willing to um, distort the truth. Yeah. So, or make it up. So I don't think... Or give their opinion. I don't think we're ever going to stop 
this misinformation. Like we were talking about it last week with Twitter and uh, Facebook in relation to the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden laptop stuff. And, okay, you can construct, you know, some sort of laws to say that they must not do this in certain cases. But we've really reached the point where information is so easily disseminated that um, that the thought of stopping it somehow or restricting it, I think, is a bit of a lost cause. And mm. how do people learn to judge what's right and wrong, particularly when you don't have the time? Like, mm. my mother has still got her marble. She's not stupid. She's not so loud. She's upstairs watching Foxtel. So, okay. yeah. so she, she's not stupid, but she's, you know, she's 86 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, she's of an of an era where if you read something in the paper, you kind of believed it was true. Um, mm. What I just, I don't know the solution for this disinformation. I mean, you've always said education is the key. But, That's what I think. But, but it's, it's not foolproof, obviously, but at yeah. least you can educate kids to, uh, as I used to say to my students, question everything. Mm. Yeah, well... People just don't have the time. Like, this is an obvious, easy one about this, but there's so many others that you get bombarded with that you just don't have... You get bombarded with so much false information, Mm. you don't have the time to check it out. We we just get the um, anti-abortionist leaflet dropping. Right. With the vote Labour out. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the solution is, dear listener. Tell me. Well, actually, all I can say is... Well, you, you actually need to invest some time if you, mm. like, there's no getting around it. And even then, yeah, you and, can't be sure, can you? Yeah, and you've got to um, you've got to find some trustworthy sources that... The Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. You beat me to it. <laughs> but you're going to have to spend some time and and the reputation of sources, I think, becomes increasingly important. So um, so for from my point of view uh, in creating this podcast and looking at material, like I do look at everything from the far right to the f- far left, I think. And it, it's certainly the first thing I do is look at who's the publisher and then who's the writer. And then that sets a possible bias scenario in my mind. But um, I... I'm finding increasingly that I'm trusting the John Menadue blog. It's only let me down once or twice. Um, uh, the John West, uh, no, Michael West Media also is really good. Um, it, it tends to be some independent sort of blogs and media sources that I think are doing the job that you need for analysing stuff, whether it be podcasts or blogs or... Uh, things like that. And uh, do you guys use an RSS feed reader at all? Have no. you ever used one? So Not for years. So I use one for What's this. RSS? Well, all of these blogs and um, news sites, etc., cetera, um, you can use what's called an RSS feed reader, which, which basically you say to this piece of software, uh, send me articles as they're produced by that blog. So um, it just goes out, checks if there's any new ones, puts them into an inbox for you, you can read through them. And I think increasingly that's how people need to get their information is Mm. find trusted sources that go to the top of the list of that inbox and 
it will feed you in the same way that your podcast app checks if there's a new podcast, puts it in your in your app. Well, it does the same with blog posts and articles and things. And mm. and really trusting an organization to some extent based on their reputation. And if if they let you down more than a few times, you then put a question mark on what you get from them. I think this is the only solution. I, I actually use an app called Flipboard, which allows right. you to pull in different media feeds. Right, okay. Uh, and so th- turns it into a magazine. Okay, so that sounds like an RSS feed reader. This is what, you know, similar. I use InnoReader, which does a similar thing. Puts it in a magazine sort of format. So you see the headline, the picture, and a little excerpt of what it starts with. And yeah. um, and so even for things that you su- subscribe behind a paywall, so Crikey um, or Spectator or other things like that, you can still pull in and create your own newspaper, your own news feed based on those sorts of things. So, Does it have a page three, girl? Uh, you can put that in if you want. <laughs> you can certainly subscribe to that. So is anyone else getting hot? Should I put the air conditioning on? Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm getting hot. That's a quick yes from Joe. So, okay, air conditioning on. Yeah, but he's a yeah. Brit. He's probably bloody hot all the time. Yeah. I'm acclimatised. I'm usually cold. Mm. Next week, I'm going <laughs> to... Dear listener, do you have a source um, that you re- you think is good in terms of being objective and accurate that you'd like to share with us that I should be adding to my list? So um, not the Spectator or uh, Spiked, Spiked. Yeah. <laughs> Jezebel. Right. Do you read them, Scott? I do read them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, well, I've noticed just on that topic. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking, and, and look, you know, I take your point about Spectator being right-wing. I don't characterise it as right-wing, but rather as conservative-leaning. But um, because I think right-wing is altogether another thing. Right-wing is more like, you know, old traditional, you know, hierarchical, all that sort of thing. But anyway, I'll, 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 I'll grant you it, it leans conservative, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. When you see... How far down Alice's rabbit hole the left, the contemporary left, has gone? I don't think conservative is always a bad thing because they're not all of a mind. You know what I mean? Mm. One thing, one problem I have with people saying, "Oh, that's right wing, that's left wing, that's conservative." People who are left wing are not all, you know, of of a mind, of a single idea, or the right wing. Spectator thinks they are. It's always talking about the left. Well, it's let, always referring to the left. I, I was just going to mention that Spectator does criticise people on regardless of party. But well, but it certainly makes a distinction between left and right. It's definitely anti-left. I'll, I'll give you that. But it also uses the descriptive term of left and right. Oh, right? I know it does all the time. And I think mistakenly, I, I don't agree with it. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm not here to promote the Spectator. It's just one of the You're sources. Not. Right. That I read, but I, I do think I do think you 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 don't give it its its proper uh, credit because it does criticise everybody. Do you detect any difference between the Australian, UK, and US Spectator magazines? I, I haven't read the US one. The Australian and the British one are similar. I would right. say so similar in tone. Yeah. yeah, I challenge you to look at them mm-hmm. and come back and tell me if you just discern a distinct difference between the british and the australian one? between the u.s i haven't seen the u.s one. yeah have a look okay so it seems look. obvious to me that mm-hmm. it's a little bit more rational than the other two and mm. um yeah still right wing but it's it's at least at a at a reasonable level i just don't think right wing is the right characterization as i said conservative seems mm. to fit 
well to me, but I'll just fast forward to something uh, mm-hmm. while we're talking about Spectator then, which okay. is um, remember last week we were talking about uh, Toowoomba and there mm-hmm. was a uh, a pre-selection battle of mm-hmm. the Christian soldiers, mm-hmm. and it looked like David um, Van Gent was going to win, and. We've and he's him. famous for... He's famous for publishing a book, which I can't remember what the hell it was called. It was during the um, same-sex marriage debate. Yep. Myself and Deep Throat went to an Australian Christian lobby thing that he was speaking at. Mm. And he, <laughs> it was all a load of nonsense. But he, the thing that we both walked out of that meeting saying, these people think they could win. You know, they hadn't accepted that they were going to lose. They honestly believed they could win. And we're very grateful they didn't win, but they honestly believed they could win. But uh, I can't remember what the hell the book was called, but it was... Does he have a... It was, it was an anti-abortion. A link Cherish with... the child sort of type. Yeah, I know, but he, he's, he's, gone, he's gone into the anti-abortion thing now, but he's... I think he's... I he either started off as anti-abortion or started off as anti-gay marriage. One of the two. Probably both. Probably both, yeah. yeah. He's probably always been anti-everything, but he's just... He's really lost it. So, anyway, he's a lunatic, but... Anyway, David Van Jan did not get in. Yeah, which so, is very good. So, well, is it? <laughs> okay, what What's can you tell me about the bloke that has one? <laughs> the winner was mining engineer Garth Hamilton. He won pre-selection for the LMP uh, in the groom for the groom by-election, and uh, he described himself as a family man who loves to build things. Well, that sounds good. Awesome jobs in the economy—that's what we need to drive right mm-hmm. now. So he's, you know, he's going, they will love that. So, um, so the Toowoomba-based businessman, uh, formerly a campaign manager for the member for Toowoomba, and he writes for. Right-wing publication, Spectator. Hmm. Who described it as right-wing? Uh, I'm not sure where I this I suppose everybody from. does, yeah. but they do. <laughs> Except me. Uh, yeah. So I had a quick look at his articles in Spectator. And, um, and so based on the headline and the initial excerpt in, in the sort of magazine, because I didn't have time to go through and read every article, and I'm not that much of a masochist, but basically... His articles in The Spectator uh, were an anti-Queensland state debt article, anti-government intervention, anti-China, anti-woke, anti-Labor, anti-left, pro-Drew Pavlov. That's that University of Queensland student who's uh, an anti-China free speech. Well, that's all right. He's anti-Aussie Black Lives Matter. He's pro-Western civilization, anti-Greta Thunberg, pro-ScoMo and Dutton over border controls. Uh, accused Queensland Labor of checkbook gerrymander, critical of climate change emission targets, critical of Jackie Trad. Look, all in all, just a typical um, contributor to the spectator. He's, he, fit, he fits right in, really. I, mean, I don't but, have but, a problem with him being critical of Jackie Trad. But, you know, he, he, she certainly but, but, deserves a hell of a lot of criticism. But, but what's this Queensland Labor of checkbook gerrymandering? What the hell's that? Uh, that's to do with the, um, the unions can contribute to the Labor Party. Um, but property developers can't. So so that was basically saying it's unfair. So it was an article. It's an odd comparison, though, isn't it? Unions and property developers? I'm pretty sure that's what the... Um, I'm pretty sure that's what he was getting at. So anyway, <sighs> we've reached the point now where um, right-wing Christian soldiers... Uh, 
are in battles with Spectator magazine contributors. That's that's where the LMP's at, dear listener. So Christians uh, certainly could be leaning right wing because they, you know, if they're into that sort of traditional, you know, m- m- patriarchal family centric type of you know worldview that sort of is the modern day traditional christian is not into helping the poor let's put it that way aren't they no no not at all not (laughs) i don't know whether you could back that up because there are a lot of christian organizations that do when i say things like that i never when you mean evangelical what do you mean exactly well when i say things like that i never mean a hundred percent every single one of them no so don't sort of force me into that position. <laughs> okay. But the modern evangelical new Christian, not your conservative Catholic traditional Anglican, yeah. but your sort of happy clappy um, uh, version of Christianity that's the one on the rise that we've imported from America, the sort of Tea Party Christian, mm. is is definitely yeah. uh, pro-business, low in, uh, regulation yeah. and... This is all the whole prosperity gospel. That's the one I, which you're is, thinking of. Which is yeah. you're poor because God has not favoured yeah. you, and that's the reason you're poor. It's, so it's not about government helping you overcome inequality or bad luck. It's about you finding God, and and then the riches will flow to you yeah. as I a result. Just think you you, you need to check mm. the term evangelical because mm. prosperity gospel is not really evangelical. It's a mm. it's a different fish. I believe the term is fundagelical. <laughs> Maybe. You're saying there are evangelicals oh, who, are not so into, many... who are not into the prosperity gospel? Absolutely. E- evangelical Christianity predates the prosperity gospel by many decades. Y- y- well, but could the prosperity gospel have, have uh, like a parasite, consumed the host that is evangelical Christianity? It's possible, but I yeah. dare say there are still many, e- mm. you know, self-identified evangelical Christians out mm. there who are not at all like the prosperity gospel types. Mm. You know, evangelical means they want to go out and convert the world to their faith, you know. Mm. That's what mm. evangelical... Mm. evangelical. What's a descriptive word I could use for um, Christians I, who are outside of the traditional Catholic um, Anglican um, circles who are into the sort of hill song, the sort of the Toowoomba sort of rabid prost- Protestants. Yes, the no, prosperity rabid, gospel rabid is Protestants. I, I think is a, is a safe label. Mm, but okay, the thing about Christianity is it's so diverse. There are so many factions and minor mm. churches here and there, mm. as we know. Mm. And anyway. the prosperity gospel is probably a, a fair label yeah. for that. Too. Anyway, yeah. the groups that are overtaking the uh, Liberal Party are certainly the prosperity gospel type Christians mm. who are working actively. Yeah, because that fits very nicely in with the Liberal Party's ethos that, you know, it's your fault that you're not wealthy, mm. you know? Yes. Work harder. and Yeah, work harder and then yeah. you'll, you'll be able to make a fortune. Mm. Right. I haven't thanked the patrons in a long time, so I'm going to do it now before we move on any further. So uh, in recent times, Landon Hardbottom and Watley and David Cox sent us some bonuses via PayPal. Thank you for that. Thank you very much, gents. Regular um, Patreon contributors from the top, uh, Sean, Janelle, Craig, uh, John Townsend, Landon Hardbottom, Wayne Oyame, Allison, Tony Wall, Jimmy Spud, Kane Birch, Bronwyn Ben, Palais, Maddock Man, Dominic DeMassey, Liam McMahon, Daniel Curtin, Harry Watson, Gavin S, 
Peter Gillespie, Captain Doomsday, Wheat Watcher, Andy Dowling, Murray Weber, Melinda, Adam Priest, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Glenn Bell, Craig S, Matthew, Clinton Riggs, Alexander Allen, Paul Weber, Tom Doolan, Tero, Camille, Donnie Darko, look out, I think spiked, being coked. Yet another Pinker fan, Cam- uh, Graham Hannigan, Mark Clark, Citizen Six, David Capley, Lloyd Berg, the 12th Man fan, Andrew Jackson, Yam Yam Blue, Shane Ingram, Craig Ball, KB, LB, Peace Slizzle, Shailene Martin, Stephen Twigger, Yvonne Panisi, David Hanby, Wayne Branwen, James Leanne, Sue Cripp, and Matt Dwyer. And special thanks to Matt, uh, to Smiley Al Klinger, who does our intros, and also to the people who contribute outside of Patreon. They do it via PayPal or have done it. Uh, Dean Ken was the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Matt Man Beverly, and Damien from Redline Digital, who helped me with the um, website, and Jared and Brad Puskarika and Darren Giddens and Watley, as I just mentioned. So. Thank you to all of those Thank people. you very much. For- and, yes, if you would like to contribute, go onto the website, ironfistvelvetclub.com.au. You'll see some links there. It helps cover the expenses, which, believe it or not, are considerable with all these uh, subscriptions and whatnot. So there's not a lot left over. <laughs> right. Uh, bugger all left over, mm, isn't it? That's mm. exactly right. So, anyway, um, New Zealand election. I wanted to mention... Just the reaction from the Murdoch press to Jacinda Ardern's victory. So I've got here a, uh, a meme which was a collection of headlines. This is following her victory. And SBS News. Jacinda Ardern promises to govern for every New Zealander after landslide election victory. From The Guardian. Jacinda Ardern to govern New Zealand for second term after historic victory. From the New Zealand Herald. Election results 2020, Labor's Jacinda Ardern wins second term, crushes Nationals' Judith Collins. And from the Australian, danger across the ditch as incompetent leader Ardern wins office. <laughs> were you surprised? Seriously, <laughs> you know, were you surprised? I just thought they could have been a little bit of... More gracious? Yeah, yeah, I yes, thank you. That's the word. <laughs> Foolishly, I thought they could have been a little bit gracious, but they basically, and then whatever article you wanted to read from the Murdoch Press was New Zealand is heading for a fucking disaster because of this woman. So poor New Zealand, they've made a huge mistake, and it's unbelievable that they've done it. It's essentially what the headline. Yeah, was. it's so. Murdoch is clearly a very passionate. Supporter of the right wing. Are we allowed to say right wing? Yes. Well, he yes. is. But, you know. You, you lose credibility. Yeah, you at some lose point. credibility when you say danger across the ditch as incompetent leader Ardern wins office. I mean, how the hell can they say she's incompetent? Now, yes, she's closed the international border. She had to to stop the infection spreading. No, she didn't. No, just be there silent there <laughs> no, for a little bit, no, Paul. No, that was a choice, though. Let's yeah, be. Let's it was be, a choice. Let's be honest. It was a choice. She okay, didn't it was have a, to close the border. Has she not have closed the border? You would have had sixteen thousand Kiwis a day coming down with the virus, rather than the two or three a day, which is a spike that happened again a few weeks back. 
you know, it's... Now, New Zealand relies heavily on international tourism. So New Zealand's government made a decision to to definitely close the international border and they realised that they were going to cop a heap of shit for doing that. So they did that. And this is why that New Zealand has gone into recession and why that there is all sorts of consternation over there about how they're going to get out of it because they've lost a hell of a lot of income from their tourism industry. But they did have a very good go at almost achieving elimination of the virus. She only did it despite Trump. He yeah, said right. so. Right. <laughs> oh, that's what he said, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he said the only reason they did it was to show him up. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that man is look, a lunatic. You, you're obsessed with Murdoch, Trevor. And, I mean... I, I should be. I I'm not obsessed enough. Well... You, you you have no obsession about the other side of things. And I read a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it was an article in, in The Spectator of all places um, saying, thank goodness we've still got Murdoch because he's the only bulwark against the total takeover of our media by the left wing. The total take He's... Hang on, let me get this straight. Rupert Murdoch is is saving us from a total takeover of the media. That was the article. As I said, it was a little bit bit tongue-in-cheek. Of course it was. But look, you had had no comment, and and I can't scroll your screen down. I'll go back. Is that what you want? I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit... The others were basic reporting. No, they weren't. They were reporting their bias, and they all have a bias. Hang now, on. let's hang, 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 hang on. The Guardian here is Jacinda Ardern to govern New Zealand for a second term after okay, historic victory. Okay, that's okay. just a straight election. New Zealand Herald election results 2020. Labor's Jacinda Ardern wins second term, crushes ju- national yeah, that was Judith Cole. A bit no, cruel but, to Judith Collins. But you have to remember, crushes. Judith Collins, her nickname her name is was Crusher. Crusher. Oh, so yeah. she no, got crushed. Okay. Judith SBS, Crusher Collins. That's a good Jacinda joke. Ardern promises to govern for every New Zealand after yeah, landslide election rich, victory. Well, that's her promise. That's that was her she promise. Said. She, said in her, she, said, she said in her acceptance speech that I will govern for every okay. New Zealander. All right. All landslide right. election victory. I don't, think you, I don't think you can you can't claim it as anything else other than a landslide because it's the well, first time in decades that one party has formed a majority government in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. But the left-wing bias is in totally not mentioning... Come, you get to say left-wing in these situations when I say I'm not allowed to say left. You know, like, why are you well, allowed to refer to left? No, we, we all use it as shorthand, but... Okay, um, well then... But the SBS, you can't get much more left than I'm SBS. Re- I'm going to take that clip. The Guardian, you can't get much more left-wing than the... Gu- oh, well, you can get a bit more left-wing, but they're pretty, out, they're pretty left of centre. And they just <laughs> completely ignore any... Potential for difficulty. Okay, it's it's you know just a straight report. She won that. She won the election. I'll give you that. Okay, thank you. But you are, I think, you know. I, but, but of those three but, but out of the two four, obsessed with Murdoch. No, of no, the three no, of the no, no, four, no, 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 no. Too obsessed. Of the three of the four, they are all accurate headlines, except the Australian. Don't you think? That's a matter of opinion. <laughs> I, I, I'm not obsessed enough. Of, of the dangers facing the world, oh, no. Come Rupert on, Murdoch oh. is, is way up there. As one dangers of the, most, of the world. One of the most dangerous. I, I, I don't think he's concerned with balanced world. reporting. I, I think the others oh, yeah. he want, has want, his own agenda. I'll want, give you that. want to do balanced reporting. They're coloured by their biases. 
everybody is coloured by a bias of some but, sort. But I think Murdoch is out and out just after pushing his own political agenda. Oh, well, they all have a bias. I, I'd agree and, they all have a bias, but there's you know, a difference. You might say, well, this bias is a kind of gentle, nice bias, the one we like. It's still a bias, you know? No, no, no. One is skewed watching something through rose-coloured glasses and the other is deliberately lying. Through green-coloured glasses? No, no, no. <laughs> One is deliberately distorting the truth. Ah, uh, yeah, well, the, uh, you know. I, I think there's a difference in intent. If you think I'm I've, I'm spending too much time worrying about <laughs> Rupert Murdoch... Far too much. ...then I've got bad news. Cause over the next couple of years, I'm going to spend a lot of time on oh, Rupert yeah. Murdoch. <laughs> Especially with the Royal Commission. Well, just no, just because I don't think there will be one. Do he's you? the most powerful man on the planet. Do you think? Yes. More powerful than Donald Trump. Yes. Seriously. Yes. He's a kingmaker because he has decided who the prime ministers of Australia and the UK are over the last thirty he, to forty years. He does and he's not. He's had a large hand in who the US president. But is. he does not control the majority of the media in the United he, States. He, he controls public opinion. Uh, I think that's a stretch. He you controls to, Fox to, News. You need to read the more. New York Post, and he has yeah. one other you, newspaper. But you, the f- Fox, you, you, Fox you News is now. Fox, I do read quite a lot. Mm. But um, Fox News is now the top um, brand in the cable news network, isn't it? In terms of in terms of its, in terms of its um, numbers of viewers, isn't it? Yeah, as far as I, from what I understand, Fox far outstrips the others. But just it's not the only one. No, it isn't it's the not only the one. only one. But it's it's also the top leading one, and that's the thing. So it's you, but Americans you, have access to other sources of news. Did you watch the Murdoch Dynasty um, three no. part break? No, I haven't seen it. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, just back to New Zealand. So they have so they have Labor. Spelt with a U as opposed to our Labor, so it's sort of the UK spelling. You know of the why Labor Australian party. Labor took out the U, don't you? Uh, no, why, Paul? Was they just wanted to make sure that people didn't confuse the Australian Labor Party with the British Labor Party, oh. so they just dropped the U. Right, isn't that really? Odd? Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I read. Okay. You, you, I, I, I was curious, and I looked it up, and that was the explanation. You, you'd think the fact that they were the Australian Labor Party would kind of give it away, but mm. wouldn't you think? Yeah. So, so they spell it with American spelling. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so over in uh, New Zealand, uh, they've got Jacinda Ardern with the Labor Party, spelled with a U, and they've got the National Party, which is their conservative party, if you like, their sort of liberal party. And that National Party slash our version of Liberal Party did quite poorly in this election, lost, lost a lot of seats. And... One party, though, 12th man, that did quite well was um, uh, the ACT Party, ACT. So it improved um, from one to ten seats, Mm. basically taking votes from the National Party. Its leader, David Seymour, is an advocate of hard-right libertarian economics and, according to his Facebook entry, is a member of the international neoliberal organisation, the Montpelleron Society. Uh, and his supporters certainly appear to show no fear of hard right politics. So, um, so what we had was uh, conservatives leaving the National Party and moving to a more hard right, 
ACT Party. You had a strong I don't know anything about the ACT mm. Party, do you? No, I'm just telling you what I know, so you've sort of got a little bit to go off. But had future. you heard of them before this? No, no they only had one seat before, yeah, so I'd, they're now ten. I'd never heard of them. Yeah. So I don't know anything about them. Yeah, so... Going back through the last uh, sort of eight elections or so, they um, let me see. They had um, they had eight, then nine, then nine, then down to two, five, one, 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 and now ten seats. So they've been around for a while. So um, uh, they stand for individual freedom, personal responsibility, uh, smaller government. Uh, that sort of thing. Doing so, best for our natural environment. Yeah, Why did yeah. you skim over that? Well, um, <laughs> when they say doing the best for our natural environment, it seems to me um, they're into cutting red tape. So repeal the Zero Carbon Act and the oil and gas ban um, probably doesn't really qualify them as being uh, doing the best for our natural environment. That's a matter of opinion. Though, yeah, it? but, I mean, if you're going to repeal the Zero Carbon Act. Um, uh, they want to allow investors from OECD countries to invest without having to jump through bureaucratic hoops. Uh, what else did I have there that um, that might have indicated their environmental credentials weren't so great? Uh, I can't find it. But anyway, that's uh, the ACT Party. So I just think it's interesting. To me... Um, while Jacinda Ardern did well, there's it just shows the polarisation that's happening in our society. Like, on the face of it, you might have thought, oh, New Zealand's gone leftish and socialist even. You know, they've voted strongly for a Labor government and a landslide. But just be mindful that on the right side, the votes went to a party that was even harder right than the Nationals. So I see it as an indication of a a widening chasm, which is happening everywhere, Possibly. it seems to me. Same well, with religion, actually. As mm. people move away from uh, religion, mm. um, the religious groups have drifted more and more conservative. Mm. So realistically, the, the the only growing sector of Christianity, both here and in the US, is evangelical, mm. is the right wing. The middle is disappearing. Evangelical. Hold. Sorry, Joe. Evangelical does not mean right wing. You, okay. You really need to be a little careful of that sort of terminology. Fundamentalist. That mm. would probably be closer to yeah, more traditional understanding of mm. religion. So. Because um, some even evangelicals are actually quite left wing. You will find that. Can you, you, know, find, that, can you find me one, please? Yeah, Rod Thanks Bauer right. in Gosford. Okay. Isn't he Anglican? Yeah, but Anglicans can be evangelical. Yeah. This is the point. Can evangelical they? just means somebody who is really, you know, strongly committed to going out and, you know, converting the lost to the to the faith. I, I remember even my local church when I was a kid, I went to a Church of England church, and in the uh, by the time I was a teenager, the church minister was an evangelical Anglican. Right. He was very much an evangelical, and he wasn't, he wasn't into money or getting rich or any of that sort of bullshit. He was right. into just convert, making sure everybody had access to, to Christianity and God's love. What's the difference between a very proactive Anglican and an evangelical? I don't think there is a, a lot of... Could you, could you but, Google evangelical and see if there's anything interesting there But you us? know Rod Bauer, right? Of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, very strong on secular issues. 
He is, but mm. he's also quite left wing. You know, he's very sort of pro uh, pro refugee, and mm. he, he he seems to embrace quite a few of what we would. <laughs> perhaps consider left-wing causes. Mel J in the chat room says, the overlap of right-wing and evangelical describes a perfect circle. <laughs> All right, we'll so, see. Okay, so. evangelical Christianity is a transdenominational movement within Protestant Christianity that maintains the belief the essence of gospel consists of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, solely through faith in Jesus' atonement. So that is the only deciding factor. Well, and, and does you, that differ to f- Anglican? Is that you will find is, in practice? Yeah, so yeah. it's across yeah. denomination. So as yes. long as you believe that oh, good okay. works can't save you, only belief in Jesus can save you. Okay, but that's the Protestant uh, ethos essentially. Yeah. Um, because, dear listener, my understanding is that when it comes to Catholicism, mm. it's about add up your deeds and were you good or bad throughout your life, and that's what goes towards whether you make it to heaven. But in the Protestant tradition, it was: Do you believe in God as your saviour is the main thing, and it doesn't matter what sort of nonsense you got up to during your life, if at your death you actually believed. The other things were that uh, the um, anybody could be a minister. You didn't have to be a ordained minister, sort of a Protestant... Um, and in fact, of, you don't um, even need a minister. Uh, is, is a sort Pre- of... Presbyterian, possibly? Yeah. There's definitely a... Um, no, Presbyterians, we have our own... So I grew up as a Presbyterian. Mm. You had a... Um, you had a... Did you notice how I said we? Yes. Yeah, I did say that. I did notice that. Um, they do have their own ministers who are ordained in the Presbyterian faith and they are... They do go to Bible seminary college and that sort of stuff and they do learn how to become a minister. Yeah. But the, the other big difference, of course, is in the Catholic Church, you have to go through the Catholic Church. You know, they are God's representatives on earth, whereas yeah. in Protestantism, you don't need a church. Yeah, you can just right. have your own personal relationship with the Sky Fairy, yes. of course. Yeah. So, um, okay. Um, let's see here. Um, well, we've got, well, by the time we meet next week, the US election, it'll be Tuesday night and they vote on a Tuesday their no, time, but they're behind Tuesday. us. Yeah. So it'll be the day after or something that we'll find out. It'll be mm. Wednesday, Thursday next week that we'll be finding out the result mm. of the US election. Is it next, so, already next Tuesday? Is yeah. It? Wow. I think, I think so. I think Creeps that's up what quick, we're up to. Yeah. We'll so, have a new Queensland government oh, by I've Saturday already night. voted. Mm. You've already voted? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. I like going along on Are that. you allowed to vote in the US election? Right. No, you're oh, talking. sorry, Queensland. Um, yeah, oh, Queensland. Um, yeah. So anyway, that'll be next week before we meet. So and we vote this this Saturday. Saturday, Saturday yeah. yeah. Um, let me just. And if see. you're in, if you're in favour of voluntary assisted dying, ladies and gentlemen, you are a Queenslander. I recommend you vote for the Labor Party. Mm. You don't bother putting any votes to the. Um, Palmer United Party or the Lib- or the Liberal Nationals because what about One Nation, Scott? Well, I don't know Do you about put One, One Nation, Nation last. Well, the, Green, the Greens would be in favour of it, wouldn't they? Well, the Greens are in favour of it. Yeah, it's just yeah. If you want to if you want to talk purely of voluntary assisted dying, then Labor or the Greens first and second, and then after that you fill out the rest of your ballot paper the way you wish. There you go, Paul. You could vote Green. I could. But I won't be. (laughs) No, look, I I have to say the only reason I'm voting Labor this time, and I am, as I said the other 
the other day. I, I'm, I'm a lifelong Labor voter. Yes. But I've reached the point with the Labor Party, I am so pissed off that they have been captured by the social justice movement. In what, in what way? Just remind me in what way. This is the state Labor Party has no, been no, captured. Well, the whole Labor Party. But, but, but in terms of the vote, if you were to say, let's assume voluntary assisted dying was done and dusted. Yeah. And you were saying, I'm going to vote. I couldn't vote I, for I, the Queensland LNP either I, on I, principle. But, but just tell me, how the, tell me how the state Labor Party has been captured by, what did you say it was captured Social by? justice warriors. Yeah, tell me how it's been captured. Just in general. They, an example of how they've been captured. Oh, I don't have an example of the state. I'll, I'll give you that. I don't have off the top of my head an example from the state. But, you know, every time I listen to members of the Labor Party, the federal Labor Party, I just keep thinking, oh, you guys, you know, you're drifting further and further into the social justice movement. And I will struggle to vote for the federal Labor Party at the next so election. So what, what federal, when you say the federal has been captured by the social justice movement, what... What things have the Federal Labor Party done that, to you that sounds social justice warrior-ish? They're, they've embraced the whole, um, you know... A bit specific, like who's... Wage, what, the wage disparities between males and females, if yeah. they exist, you know. I mean, what, we talked did, about this before. Um, did, what, well, what, did they, what, what did they say that was really social justice, though, warrior-ish? Uh, well, when they, when they had... get it all the time. <laughs> But, when but, they had when they had the um, when you had Albanese's budget reply speech, mm-hmm. he went through it, and then he, at the end of it all, he threw in a he threw in a saying that we're going to move towards constitutional recognition of Indigenous people in yeah, Australia, right. which good example. Thank you, Scott. That's what? that is an, example, that is an of, example of what I was looking for because I really don't see it very much. In the Labor Party. Even in the Federal Labor Party? That's right. Really? Yeah. So that's why I wanted a specific example. If you could give more than that... I'll start writing them down. Please do. Because I think there's a perception that Labor is caught up in a lot of the social justice warrior stuff. And And I think you're thinking of the... I'll admit to you that the Greens... Oh, the Greens are totally... Are totally in the woods. Yes. But I just don't see it so much with Labor. My argument with Labor is is they're really not different enough from the Liberals in, in too many respects. Mm. I don't see them differentiating themselves enough. Yeah. So to me, uh, that's my problem with Labor, mm. is they don't stand up for okay. significant differences with the LNP. Well, so, I would encourage you to look more critically and listen yeah. more critically when they speak but, because but, you will but, hear all these little... You know, they'll drop little references that really well, 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 I do are designed, really designed to pick up those social justice-leaning votes. So, so my challenge to you is give me an example like Scott's just did. Yeah, and with, that's, a, with, that's a good example. I'll admit it was a great example, and that's true. Mm. They are on board with Indigenous sort sure of recognition are. issues. But and I, Black Lives but, Matter, did they, have they not talked I, about I Black really Lives Matter? I don't really think they said much more too strong other than... It's understandable why, you know, I don't think they're super strong. I think when you hear comments that sound social justice warrior-ish, that they're really coming from the Greens or from left-wing activist groups. I don't think they're coming so much from the Labor Party. I'll I'll try to Mm. collect some examples and Mm. I urge you to Mm. listen more critically when they speak. I I listen very, I'm finely attuned to it. 
or believe me. I know, but we all have our biases, Trevor. And I have a feeling, if you don't mind me saying, and I don't mean this in any sort of offensive way, (laughs) that you are very much tuned into that sort of left-leaning way of things. Uh, No, I'm very discerning. So I was able to discern with Spiked as... I could tell you more about Spiked and the differences between the US, UK and Aussie than you would, and you're a Spiked no, lover. The US the, the US Spiked, the UK and the There's no Australian, Australian Spiked. Uh, um, sorry, Spectator, sorry. Okay. Um, I, I can discern a difference easily there. So okay. I, I honestly think that I, I'm attuned to these things. And you think they're see. right wing? Yes, Absolutely. Yes. Conservative, yes. Right wing, that's a stretch. I'm, I'm more than happy with that okay. summary of them, yeah. Um, but anyway, look, as I was saying, I, I will certainly be voting for the Queensland Labor Party, but through clenched teeth. Yeah. See, even when it comes to lockdown, you couldn't say I'm voting LNP because I prefer their lockdown policies. No way. Because they were exactly the same. I know. Yes, no, yeah. I despise the LNP. Yes. So, but, oh, well, but I'm you, just so right, disenchanted right, with the Labor Party right. that it gets harder and harder every year to keep voting for them. Yeah. So, um, I don't think uh, you've got any choice but to vote for the Labor Party because it's just, it's absolute nonsense that the LNP mm. has come up with. What, I agree. Watley is in the chat room. He's joined the Labor Party and, well, good on him. and he said he attended an online sort of Labor Party conference mm-hmm. and he said, the only thing I saw at the New South Wales Convention that was social justice-ish mm-hmm. was acknowledgement of previous ownership. Yeah, again, all that bullshit. And, and I agree with you. Prepared to, prepared to agree 100% on that. Thank you. But... <laughs> We're on the same page when it comes to some issues. Indeed, I know. yeah. So um, uh, it's just a little bit trite when you do have this whole welcome to country. You know, rather than saying it just once, you know that everyone, I wouldn't even say it once. Yeah, I know, and that's fine. But rather than saying it just once, you've got everyone that stands up in front of their microphone and actually says, "And I too wish to I know. pay my respects to." Um, it's what is it? To the elders past, present, present and emerging. You know, yeah. It's a load of garbage. It's virtue signalling of the most vomitous kind. I agree 100%. <laughs> Paul, from Dire Straits, yeah? genuine question. What's the difference between right-wing and conservative? Well, right-wing, if we go back to the French Revolution, yeah. which yeah. is where it comes from, the right-wing right. were the monarchists, the traditionalists, the people who wanted to keep... The aristocracy and the church at the top of the hierarchy and the ordinary people at the bottom. That's right. So, in other words, they're conservatives. No, it's not. It's well, a bit more difference? than conservative. Name, because a, name a policy difference between a right wing, where you'd say, oh, that's a right wing, but not conservative, or that's conservative, but not right wing. Can you give me a policy? A policy. A, a policy position, a, an idea, a concept where they would be differ, where they would differ. I dare say there's a, there's a bit of overlap. But, but you said to me, spectator is conservative yeah. but not right-wing. Yeah, so conservative tell me, in, in as much that... as, as they, they want to basically preserve the institutions that we have. They don't want any radical change. And that's change. not right-wing? No. I would have thought right-wing would want to uh, institute a, a more of a police state, you know, more authoritarian control. That's right wing to me is authoritarianism. But the left, gets, the left Dan, Dan um, Andrews gets accused of authoritarianism. He is. And he's left wing. 
I know, well, he's allegedly so, left wing, so, and yet as soon as he gets so the chance... you can't say authoritarianism is a right By wing. decree, he, so, t- he strips the citizens of Victoria so, so of their civil rights. So I don't agree with you that authoritarianism is an indicia of right wing, but not conservatism, because it's also an indicia of left wing. Is, is a what? Is, is an indicator of. Oh. So can you, can you give me an idea that is... Conservative but not left right wing, or yeah. is right wing but is not conservative. I don't know about specific policies, but when mm. I meet conservative people, and I know a few, um, they're just people who don't want radical change. You know what I mean? That they they they're not against progr- uh, progressive, you know, incremental social change that brings improvements. Tell me about Spectator, where you say it's conservative but it's not right wing. So what would I not see that I would see if it was right-wing? Calls for more authoritarianism, I would have thought. No, we've dealt with that. Give me another one. Because we've dealt with authoritarianism could be left-wing. Uh, pro-monarchy would be right-wing, wouldn't it? Okay. So the uh, – and it wouldn't be conservative? It might be. It might be Conservatives it, might also be pro-monarchy. Given its existing position, wouldn't it be both? It, it, there's an overlap for sure. So, but no, I want one where there's a difference. I want you to tell me one where an idea where it is, which is conservative but is not right wing, or which, is right wing well, but is not conservative. Conservative people might not no, be. No, I want an idea. Bo- just, just because you say spectator doesn't have, the, you, 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 and it's about ideas. So tell me an idea that I wouldn't find in spectator because it's a right wing idea and it's not a conservative idea. You'll have to. I'll have put to that take on that advisement. On, on notice. Okay, we'll put that under advisement. So, because it's a genuine question, yeah, and a good I, one I know from, it's a genuine from, question, from and it's a valid straits, question. Which is, what's the difference? And it I'm, is a valid question. Yeah, but you know, I mean, would you say uh, Malcolm Turnbull, for example, is he right wing? I need to talk about ideas and singular ideas rather than people, because it's a, it's easier to deal with and clearer because people encompass a whole range of things. Yes. And we'd have to talk about a specific idea that a person holds and that's what I'm trying to get to. I think dealing with people makes it more uh, confusing. So if you could next time... Well, there's a lot of overlap, If if we could give you the homework Mm -hmm. of an idea that is either conservative and not right-wing or is right-wing but not conservative Mm. that you would find or not find in Spectator because Spectator is conservative rather than right-wing. That's, oh, that's my that, estimation. Yeah, that, yeah, please provide an example for dire straits. That would be good. Just for dire straits, or for all of us, for all um, of us, for all of us. If for I'm me. going by dire straits' history of comments about me, I wouldn't give him the time of day. Let alone <laughs> give him an example. Well, for me, because you did say it. So for me. All right, I'll, I'll take that on. Because I'm genuinely yeah, and it's curious. it's a it's a and, valid and we topic. use these t- ideas as as abstract shorthand as we need to for yeah. various concepts. So we, we need do. to make sure we're thinking the right thing. Okay. Because part of the problem with was, when we had was on, is, is I found that we were thinking we were talking about the same thing when we're using an abstract idea, mm-hmm. but in fact we were talking about completely different things. Okay. So it's important to know that when we have a an encompassing shorthand for an idea that we have agreement about what that yeah. shorthand yeah. is. No, it, it's, and, a, and it's, I, it's a good discussion to have. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, Donald Trump, just before, um, have I got it here? Um, may I, do I have it? Oh, as you know, um, sportsmen behaving badly on this podcast. 
we have the cannot you cannot be curious moment, which is uh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. And the you cannot be curious award goes to um, Greg Norman. Really? Mm. Florida-based Norman says Trump has kept his promises to voters. From my business perspective, he's done a phenomenal job. Norman says From in an exclusive business. interview. So, yes, he is bombastic. Yes, he has a different style. But to see him actually commit to his word about what he wants to do is actually pretty impressive. <sighs> Greg Norman's not exactly up there among the intellectual giants of the world, is he? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and you really, you really think he's that highly of him, do you, Paul? <laughs> and that was an article from The Australian. So, this one. Right. I was going to ask who was that. <laughs> now. Um, no handshake, no citizenship. Um, this is a German citizenship ceremony um, where a Lebanese doctor um, refused to shake a woman's hand at the naturalisation ceremony. Mm. And he said he'd promised his wife he would avoid greeting with the opposite sex. And so even though he had passed the examination with flying colours and was set to receive his certificate... When he refused to shake the hand of the woman at the ceremony, she held on to the certificate. Said, not so fast. <laughs> shake I've, my fucking hand. And, uh, and he's had it withheld. I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. Really? If you're going to go to a country that has a policy that you've got to shake hands and that sort of stuff, you should bloody well shake hands. Mm. I have no problem with that at all. We've had this before. The story came up. Four, yeah, this four is in France, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 there was no, it was Switzerland. Switzerland. That's when they went to shake the teachers' hands. Yeah, mm. and they denied citizenship, and mm. on that occasion too, yes. I believe, didn't mm. they? Paul, what do you think? Oh, I think it's a trivial reason not to award citizenship if the guy had gone through all, you know, jumped through all the hoops, and at the last step, you know, it's it's a bit uh, yeah, but it's a bit. Funny that one official okay, g- gets then, the power and authority to, despite him jumping through all the hoops, passing all the tests, no, you're I, not going to have I, it. Hold on. And, but it you, you've got failed to, the final you, test. You, you've <laughs> got <laughs> Treat, Treating people equally. Exactly. And that is the most important test that should be applied to all citizens is to how you're going to treat people differently. If you can go back up there, Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was a... A man denied German citizen for refusing to shake a woman's hand. Yeah. And that was the whole point. It was a Lebanese doctor. He's a Muslim. Exactly. So you've got this situation in Europe where you've got a you've got a bloke having his head cut off for having a having a poster of the Prophet Muhammad. The head cut off incident has no relation to this at all. Well, I think it has every relation to it because this is Germany trying to get an equality of their whole government, of their whole system. They're trying to say that you've got to shake people's hands in this country, whether they're men or women or what have you. I'll just give you a bit more information. Yeah. In its ruling, the court said, this is the German court, anyone who refuses a handshake on grounds of gender is in breach of the country's constitution and that handshakes, deeply rooted in social, cultural and legal life, symbolise the conclusion of a contract. It made no difference, the judge said, that the doctor had since announced he would also refuse to shake hands with men. 
So the court's saying it symbolises the conclusion of a contract uh, as a sort of a cultural, deeply rooted in social, cultural and legal life because he said later, oh, actually I'd refuse to shake hand with the man as well. So they So said, he's consistent. Uh, no, no, he wasn't. He said, if it's going to be that way, then I won't shake hands with men. Mm. But initially he said, I won't shake hands with you because yeah, you're yes. a woman. Well, look, you but, guys- but the court said it doesn't matter man or woman. Uh, we conclude deals in this country by shaking hands, and it's a cultural issue for us mm. to... And yet mm. Germany claims to be a multicultural society, doesn't mm. it? So aren't they being a little bit, um, what's the word, cultural hegemonists, if they're saying that we will not accept any cultural signifying action except the ones that we have here in Germany. So, you know, I mean, if they're going to be consistent with their their policy of multiculturalism, don't you think they have to allow for other people to observe different ways of concluding an agreement, don't they? Don't you think Germany has probably looked at their whole experiment with multiculturalism and they might have said, fuck, we've gone too far. I dare say they might have. Exactly. I, I, and I think this is, this is probably them Europe pushing is... back where they're actually saying, no, in this country you fucking shake hands. Scott, you know that mm. I loathe Islam. I know that. And that I think, you know, the mass migration of Muslims into Europe is probably in the long run going to turn out to be a very bad Bloody idea. disaster, yeah. yes. However, I just think it's a really trivial grounds to refuse this guy's citizenship. They've, they've led him on. They've put him through all this, you know, examination process. He's passed everything with flying colours, and then he gets to what? the final hang step. On. That is part of the test. Yeah. A handshake is part of the test? Yes. Absolutely it is. So, so he's read everything that says you must treat men and women equally, you must treat straight and gay equally. Yeah, but, and and he promised it, to do look, so. Yeah. Look, a handshake, a handshake does not uh, necessarily mean he's not treating men and women the same. You're sounding like a social justice warrior here. No, I'm not. Well, this is what the chat no. room's saying. Well, well, the, says, the chat just... room's entitled to say what they like. <laughs> Can I just put the comments out because they're good ones? Okay. Watley says, that sounds like social justice there, Paul. Mel says, ooh. Not at all. Twelfth is agreeing with identity politics. <laughs> and uh, Watley says, not SJ12 at all. leads the march to freedom. <laughs> not at at all. I am so you know, not a social justice warrior. But I think the Germans have to be consistent. There's a bit big brotherish. Is that what the reason why? I, I, I thought the... it was just petulant on the on the part of that official. I thought it was just petulant. You may well have been petulant, but it was petulant for a bloody good reason. Did, did you have an issue with um Women wearing the niqab or the burqa in Australia, did you think that that was acceptable in our cultural context? Look, I'm not into dictating how people dress. However, every time I see a woman in niqab, mm-hmm. I, it makes me feel like, oh, dear, I hope this sort of thing doesn't increase. Right. So I'm definitely not in favour of it. Yeah. But, you but know... You'd, you'd- but I wouldn't be dictatorial about if it. If you rocked up to the citizenship ceremony in a niqab and refused to shake hands, you'd say, here's it's, your certificate, yeah, enjoy Australia. Because I think, I think that the face is an important aspect of social interaction. I think mm. if you can't see a person's face... In your opinion. Then... It, Others are saying a handshake is very important. Look, it may be. But look, you know, as you know, I lived in Japan 
And the Japanese have adopted the Western custom of handshakes and they will shake your hand, obviously. Mm. But, but that, was an, that was a sort of uh, a, a concession to, to, to Westerners when Westerners started coming to Japan. Cultures evolve. Because, you know, I've seen families in Japan greet, you know, uh, family members returning from overseas and they greet them at the airport no hugging whatsoever, no touching. Mm-hmm. They looked really, really happy and yes. they bow and they're smiling and they're laughing, but there was no physical embrace. Now, to mm-hmm. us, that and, and to me, it, it was a little bit odd. I, mm-hmm. I would have thought that that physical embrace was just a natural expression of joy when you see a family member, and yet mm-hmm. not in not every culture. That, that so. brings about an alternative scenario where you've got a culture where people don't touch each other and somebody's at a citizenship ceremony, they may be the Brazilian, and they receive their certificate, and and they go up and give the person a big hug for their certificate in a culture where touching each other is frowned upon, and the guy says, I'm not giving you the certificate now because you've touched me. <laughs> like, it's possible. It is. And seemingly, if you were in agreement that the Germans were justified in refusing, then then let's say the... Uh, extreme Japanese culture that says, what are you doing? You don't touch people like that. Get away. You've, yeah. you've, you've failed the test because you've, yeah, you've we, committed a, a, a great offence. Go away and learn how to be Japanese. Yes. So what if so, you were one of these extremely rare non-Japanese <laughs> who was awarded Japanese citizenship? It does happen, but right. it's very, very difficult yeah. to, to obtain. Yeah. Now, what if you're one of those guys what if you'd learnt the japanese language right you could read and write japanese you could mm. speak fluently you knew the customs and you went mm. to receive your certificate yeah. and you didn't bow low enough and right. they said we're not giving it to you now mm. how would you feel yeah but don't you think that <laughs> if you if you're going to go that far that you would learn it all and you would say that okay a hug is inappropriate if it actually says you don't touch us in your citizenship papers and all that sort of stuff, you wouldn't go up and give someone a hug, would you? See, presumably, Paul, the person who was giving the certificate said, I want you to shake my hand. And the guy said, no, I'm not going to. In the Japanese situation, if they said, you just didn't bow low enough, please bow low, he would have gone, okay, I'll bow low. Sorry, can I have my certificate? Like, this is a person who's been quite obstinate in saying, I'm not going to comply with your cultural view. So, Look, yeah. to give the guy his due, he was being consistent to his own, you know, Deeply held beliefs, yeah. yeah which is proving just, to be, which are proven yeah. to be completely inappropriate in a European setting. I'm going to find the That's tape when we opinion. discuss the sweet, the Swiss g- girls. I think go back four years. I reckon you had a different viewpoint then. Did I? I suspect you did. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I'm one of those people who is evolving. No, who's mm. capable of changing their minds. Yeah. Here's, um, in the chat room, yes, we are going to talk about the strip searches in Qatar. Let's do it now. Yeah, absolutely. That was bloody shocking, wasn't it? So basically uh, Australians finally get on a plane to return home. They're in Qatar in a sort of a transit-type situation and the local authorities find a fetus in a bathroom. It wasn't a fetus. It was a newborn baby. Newborn baby. It was right. alive. Oh, okay. And it was... Uh, it was a little bit premature that was was in the report. Right. But it was alive right. and it's, it's... In a toilet or something area. It's in or care now, yeah. yeah. So, so they've then gone, where'd this baby come from? And they've basically halted all planes and they've grabbed the... The women. 
the women from presumably a Qantas flight, I guess. No, I don't know. Qatar Airways. And basically got them out, put them into an ambulance on the tarmac mm. and forced them to undergo an examination a by a female doctor. A cavity search. Yes, to see if they had, had given evidence given birth. of giving birth. Yeah. And these women were initially refusing when they were told what was about to happen. And But it was like, well, do you want to go back to Australia or not? Because if I you know. do, subject yourself it's to It's pretty this. shocking, isn't it? It is. It was appalling. Mm. You know, it, but, it uh, <sighs> was citizenship being offered. No, citizenship wasn't being offered or anything like that. It was it was bloody really very. It's really quite sickening for us to talk about it because it was it was such a violation of these people's privacy. Mm, absolutely, to go through that sort of thing and to be. Subjected to that type of thing, it was really very crooked, actually. I, I don't know what else to say about it other than to say it was appalling. I, I think as bad as it is, um, they're a country, it's their laws. If you choose to transit through there, that's one of the risks you take. Basically. That's, that's why years ago we well we had we started ticking off countries that we could never go to Scott because we were particularly aggressive and mm. about uh, Islamic countries mm. and, and I'm never going to go to the Middle East. Yes, yeah. and if I transit, it'll it'll be yeah. Uh, I'm never going to go to those countries. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, you know, some years ago I was actually contemplating mm. looking for work in mm. the Middle East because as a teacher, that's you know one. Mm. A uh, place where you can actually go and and get paid reasonably well, or at least mm. it used to be better. Mm. But and 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 a friend of mine who had worked there and, and was going back to work there actually encouraged me and said, "Yeah, yeah, Paul, you can get a job over there yeah. easy, you know." And I thought about it, and the more I thought about it, I, the more I thought, "No, I just would not be comfortable," because I know that at any given time, if you cross onto the wrong side of the law, there, you're at their mercy, yeah. and our government can really do nothing for yeah. you. We did a story once on a guy who was going through the transit lounge and he had a T-shirt which had an image on it and it might have been a silhouette of a woman and mm. her breasts or something. It was yeah. like fairly tame by our standards, yeah. but um, they grabbed him in the transit lounge and he spent a bit of time in the local slammer. Um, yeah. yeah. And they're not so, nice places. No. And, and the stories of the women who've been raped mm. on beaches or wherever mm. and then been charged with adultery. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you are taking a risk. It's sort of, well, on the one hand you could say you should have known, but holy smokes. Like yeah. you, but you millions couldn't have people, known this. Millions yeah. of people transit through those, those um, Middle Eastern stopovers. Mm. There, there are a couple of prominent ones, aren't there? Yeah. There's Bahrain, and what's the other one? Well, you've got Abu Dhabi, and Abu you've Dhabi. got um, the, 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 what is it? The UAE, um, Dubai. Mm. Dubai, yeah. You know. I would imagine there's a lot of people now who will change future yeah. travel plans to not transit through yeah. those sorts of countries. I dare say, if, if, if it was just a stopover and I wasn't leaving the airport, I would... I'd probably do yeah, it. But, Dyer but they, Strait, were on, they were on a transit. Dyer they Strait, were on a stopover. Really? Dyer, Straits, yes. Dyer Straits said that these people hadn't been off the plane. Now, yeah. I don't know whether or not that's the case, well, but 
That doesn't have to be. Right. No, they'd have to come off the plane. They'd have to come how off the you, plane. How would you leave a baby in the toilet if you'd yeah. never got off the plane? Well, this is the whole point. He was saying they had not even been off the plane. Well, I think he's misinformed. Well, that wouldn't be surprised. That, does, that, doesn't, sound, that doesn't sound right. But certainly, though, I think pretty sure they were just in transit. So, mm. Mm. right. Maybe the government should put a danger warning on visiting to Qatar. Thank you very much, Dire Straits. I yes. think that's a very good idea. Yeah. Now, one other um, sort of clash of cultures type of issue is in relation to nudity on Facebook. So there's an article here from the ABC. Now, are we going to get banned by YouTube if we put this up? Well, who knows if we will or not. Um, Living dangerously. Yeah. So what we've got is uh, Whitnoll Benko is worried about posting certain images from his home island on Facebook and... Basically, some photos taken in Vanuatu have been labelled a violation of Facebook's nudity and sexual activity standards. Oh, yeah. And he said his account had been blocked for weeks as a result. And essentially, he was showing pictures of villages in their traditional garb where you've pretty much got women in grass skirts and not much else. And the guys are in not much at all, a bit of a loincloth with a sort of a penis sheath or something like that, I think it was called. And Facebook... Uh, had banned them based on nudity, mm. and then when he complained, Facebook said, "Oh, terribly sorry. Uh, sorry for uh, insulting you culturally. Um, <laughs> you put those back straight up. It's all good, yeah. and uh, don't worry about us." Interesting. So, this is the problem of an international sort of platform, which is making rules based on cultural sort of sensitivities as to what's acceptable in terms of nudity when there's varying levels of what's acceptable around the world who are all mixing on the same platform. Mm. I think it was actually an automated thing. Mm. But um, that leads to a funny story. Um, I worked in the government many years ago, Queensland government. Um, Who was before Campbell Newman? Uh, Anna Bly. Oh, sorry, no. Um, Male labour... Oh, Peter Beattie. Mm. Yeah. Um, Apparently the flesh filters were picking up Peter Beattie's photographs because of his bald head, and there was just too much flesh in the scene (laughs) (laughs) and was blocking emails with photos of... That's funny. On Facebook? No, no, no. no. This this was internal government emails. Oh, right. And there, there was a filter... To right. check for porn too much coming flesh. in. And it was too much flesh exposed. <laughs> triggering the porn filter. <laughs> oh, go. dear God. Well, there's always a clash of rights. This is one, an example of when we talk about Bill of Rights and things and you have to structure it sort of in broad brush terms. You have a right not to be subjected to sexually offensive nudity you've got a right to express your culture. And here we've got a clash between the two of them. Somebody has to decide where to draw the line. So we're well, done with that one. We'll move on. We've done Qatar. Um, oh, let me just see. Sorry, you want to say something? No. no? Okay. Um, <laughs> there was, of course, the National Prayer Breakfast. Oh, actually, we've got to go back to Noosa. Sorry, yeah. we got, oh, we've, we've completely skipped over Noosa Temple of Satan. <sighs> Settle in for another half hour. <laughs> <laughs> what are we up to? 9F5. Jeez. 
my wife. there, listeners. Listeners, are these podcasts too long? Because my wife says too long. She, she's, she, sort of, she's always said that. Yeah. <laughs> she has a shin. Indeed, does, indeed, yeah. Does, does Mrs. Yeah. Fist have yeah. a short attention span yeah. or something? Well, so, yeah, do listen. Is it too long? Tell us, but. There's so much here we could go for six hours, but okay. So last week, as you know, we had uh, Robin with his, um, well, with his stunt outside of Kelvin Grove State College, and uh, what we had in response, the Courier Mail uh, spoke to the Queensland Education Minister, Grace Grace. <laughs> That's not a lie, dear listener. That is what her name is, which is quite ironic, given. The subject matter and all the rest of it. Mm. So, um, so talking about Robin handing out his flyers and Education Minister Grace Grace said, quote, schools should not be used as a backdrop for a political stunt. This is ridiculous. I do not support this behaviour. Police and Kelvin Grove State College's leadership team are aware. What a thinly veiled threat. Yes, a threat of legal action is what it sounds like, isn't it? A threat to get the police involved, which makes no sense whatsoever because Robin was doing everything. So his brother, Demon Samuel Demogorgon. Yeah, brother Samuel Demogorgon was doing exactly everything that he was supposed to do. He was outside on the footpath. He handed out flyers to a couple of kids and the photographs that were taken were of the backs of students, so you couldn't identify who they were. Yeah. And um, so it was all perfectly legal. But imagine, well, we, uh, well, Robin then put out a press release. Yes, yeah, and that which, was um, brilliant. Which, um, there's a great picture of Robin uh, reading the Courier Mail. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrific picture of if you're watching the YouTube or the Facebook one of this, it's a, it's a great picture of Robin there. Um so uh, the Noosa Temple of Satan put out a response saying, this is grossly unfair. It is insulting. Imagine if she went on the record to say the Christians or uh, the Christianity or Islam is ridiculous. Imagine if she warned them that the police have been made aware. Mm. So uh, he makes the point, this type of discrimination is precisely the sort of thing that Scott Morrison wants to outlaw by introducing religious freedom laws. Um, Scott Morrison understands religious freedom. He understands it applies to all religions, including Satanism. He wants to protect our rights to teach Satanism in schools, and he should now practice what he preaches. And from our reading of the draft religious discrimination bill, it appears Grace Grace would be in breach of Section 7, which says, in effect, a person discriminates against another person on the ground of the other person's religious belief if the person treats the other person less favourably then the person treats another person who does not have or engage in the religious mm. belief in circumstances that are not materially different. So um, so there you go. Grace Grace made a big mistake there. Mm. Uh, she's ridiculed Satanism. Yep. She's threatened a member of the clergy of Satanism mm. who was performing legally. This uh, other religious groups are welcomed into the state school system, allowed to teach to our young state school students, and are clearly a case of religious discrimination. Grace Grace needs to have another look at the law. Yeah. So, unfortunately, dear listener, this didn't go on any further and um, have any impact in the Queensland election, but... That little piece there is going to become all important down the track 
if the religious discrimination bill is revived and people are wondering what will the bill do and are there any unintended consequences or things that maybe the Christian uh, proponents might give them second thoughts as to um, whether they should be passing that bill. So I think that's a really interesting response and a really useful one um, down the track for some ammunition when Mm. this debate comes back up. Uh, That will be interesting. So Mm. um, I'm going to play a little bit. Now, of course, Robin has got his Black Mass ceremony coming up Mm -hmm. this Saturday Friday night. Friday night. Yes. For those who've got tickets, good luck. Um, and It's going to be restreamed on Facebook. will be streamed on Facebook. If you're not following the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page, you are crazy. I've been reposting his stuff on our Facebook page, but I'm going to stop doing that soon because surely by now you're all following the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page. So um, <laughs> don't rely on me to keep passing things on. So... Because uh, my page is starting to look like a Noosa Temple of Satan page. <laughs> so I'm going to start cutting back. And have you, you have converted, to go, Trevor? Yeah, and you have to go and look at it yourself and follow because I'm not going to keep you up. But here is Martin Isles talking about the Black Mass ceremony. Here, because beyond our conversation today, Martin, we're going to be talking about another element that's happening in Queensland. And uh, perhaps Christians are especially interested because there's a spiritual dimension to what is coming. But there is a public black mass uh, that has been scheduled for the eve of the Queensland state election. And uh, interestingly, uh, it is a, a politically motivated black mass. Now, I wonder if you've uh, had any thoughts about that, because uh, coming up ahead of the election, uh, there's this black mass that's happening. There's, there's a lot of issues here, but one of those that's in play, and I'll get your thoughts here, is that, uh, is that they're doing this because uh, it's a statement of religious freedom uh, that they're uh, going to be having it. Any thoughts around what's coming? Yeah, look, I've actually noticed that... um, So I've been in the political world for about six years, uh, and over that time, one of the things that has hit me time and again is that the most powerful thing that we do as Christians in the political sphere is pray. And so uh, the Satanists praying is, is of course, a concern. I think it's deeply destructive to them because pagan uh, religions destroy people like nothing else, and it's very sad that this is gaining a foothold in the community. But in terms of what it can do to the political process, I think that Christians can band together and pray, and we know who is the greater one, we know who is the stronger one, and, um, uh, and I believe that that is, that is the right thing to do, and I believe that that will be effective. Uh, as to whether it's a statement of religious freedom, they're actually deliberately doing this to try and cause havoc for people who are advocating for religious freedom. There's a, there's a really deceptive and tricky thing going on here uh, where they're saying, oh, well, you say religious freedom. Well, what about the Satanists? Uh, and there's, they're playing a game, and uh, that's really sad. But, uh, yeah, look, sadly, they do have the freedom to do it, but we have prayer on our side. There we go. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Prayer, the most powerful thing they can do is pray. Yeah, he, go, he goes on about that. I cut it out, but he, he goes on and on about prayer. Collective delusion, really. <laughs> the most powerful thing they can do is pray. They're mm. talking to themselves. Mm. Well, let, let, let's hope that's the most powerful thing they can do. Mm. Exactly. Because the rest doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, it looks like the prayers aren't working because the, <laughs> the black mass is going to go on. 
Well, the black mass is going to go on and it's going to get a hell of a lot of attention online. Mm. And, you know, Martin Niles is clearly a nutter. You know, he's a complete lunatic. I hope he's not going to sue me for saying that. But, you know, it's... Out of opinion. <laughs> You're going to defend me if he sues me. So. Yeah, I don't think it's really... Anyway, but um, what it's, he did say... So yeah. Have you finished or not? No? I've finished, yeah. Okay. He said here, I quote, I think it's deeply destructive to them because pagan religions destroy people like nothing else. He doesn't know what he's talking well, about. Well, this Pagan is, just means non-Christian religion. This is actually it's, religious vilification. Like, you know, you can't bring in religious freedom laws and Martin Isles can't say this sort of... Exactly. Oh, but hang on, well, he's a deeply he held religious police. Yeah, so. actually, he can. He so can. Yeah, and so he should be able to. He should be able to express his opinion yeah, freely. Yes. However... Um, you know, he's talking through his ass. Yeah. <laughs> he's talking through his ass. I mean, it's a load of shit. It, it, I, oh, it just gets me so bloody frustrated mm. that you have Martin Niles out there saying this nonsense, advocating for religious freedom, but he's denying the religious freedom to the Satanists. Yep. Anyway, he recognises what's happening and that there's really nothing he but can do it, except pray. Part of it mm. also is because... All their lives, you know, religious people of the, you know, Christian, Islamic, whatever, they've been taught, you know, that Satan is a real person mm. and that Satan's, Satan's power is a real power out there and, mm. it, you know, it destroys people and makes them into evil, horrible people. Indeed. And he obviously believes it's true. Well, there's a number of prayer meetings that have been organised in opposition to the Satanic Mass. So yes. I've got in the show notes different links to that. So the ACL has sort of organised one which will be at the New Life Church at Wumbai. You can go there and join them in their prayer. Um, <laughs> there's another pass. group. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just hilarious that they're just going to have their own prayer meetings. It yeah. is hilarious. And that's good. Yeah. It's really Funny. Yeah, well, according to the ACL... Um, it's the most powerful thing they can do. Yeah. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Across the Sunshine Coast, churches are praying against this evil. Um, on well, Friday... I just think you've just got to look at the reaction to the Satan flight that he... What it was called where they flew up there said, Love religious freedom, hail Satan. Mm-hmm. The reaction to that was incredibly positive. Yeah, it was, yeah. So there's also a St. Michael Nirvana... Novena, Novena, against the Noosa Black Mass. So this is a coordinated Facebook event where people are praying every night in a nine-day Novena to St. Michael the Archangel in reparation for the atrocities of the Black Mass, for the, <laughs> for the purification of the church in Australia <laughs> and for her deliverance from the attacks of Satan. Oh, so, this is um, hilarious. Yes. But you can imagine, can't you, the yeah. sort of the dark mist descending yeah. on Noosa. Yes. You yes. know, brought about by the power of Satan. Yes. And all the Christians trembling in fear. What's happening? Yes. Apparently St. Michael is the archangel. St. Michael the archangel is heralded as the defender of the church and chief opponent of Satan. <laughs> so his intercession is powerful against diabolical forces. So that's happening and also... Um, you know, in the comments section, uh, some of the comments that are going on in these groups, uh, Andrick Dean Tobias Taberto says, Thanks to the organisers of this novena, I am pleased to inform you that the Sisters of the Immaculata in Tasmania 
and the Carmelite nuns in Gunalaba. Gunalaba. It's near Thank you. Are joining us in prayer. Love heart emoji. Noosa is under the patronage of Our Lady of Perpetual Succor. So let us all call upon her. Immaculata, Mother of the Perpetual Help, you who received from God the commission to crush the serpent's head, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. St. Michael, the archangel, and all heavenly spirit, especially our own guardian angels, pray for us, defend us, fight with us this day, and always the battle of the Lord. I mean, these are the sorts of comments that are going on. It's magical thinking. Mm. This is pure magical thinking. This is is the idea that Mm. if you say the right magic words, Mm. you can tap into that universal magical power. Mm. Hey, in the chat room, congratulations. We've reached 100 messages uh, in the chat room, so that's good going. Keep going because we're going to keep going. We've got lots to get through still. (laughs) Well done, chaps. Yes, thank you. Um, so that's um, so that was all of the Noosa Temple of Satan stuff. I think we had to get through. So um, follow his Facebook page over there and join in and watch the Black Mass ceremony online. It should be a hoot, I think. It's going to be absolutely hysterical. Mm. Let me see what else have we got here. Ah. Um, oh. In for a penny, in for a pound. The value of the humanities degree. Um, so, dear listener, we spoke, was it last week or the week before, about humanities La, degree? Last week was mm. the... And how the cost of a humanities degree had gone up to like $11,000. Like right, $14,500. $14,500, thank per, you. Per year. Yes. Mm. Where other so degrees... a three-year degree mm. is forty-five grand. Mm. It's, it's a lot of money for a humanities degree. And basically it? the argument from this Morrison government is, well, let's... Not a degree that gets you a job. So what's the point? What a lame excuse. Mm. I mean, you can understand a a medicine degree or an engineering degree or something that requires fairly sophisticated uh, equipment and Mm. infrastructure in the university to use as, you know, teaching materials or aids or whatever. Mm. But humanities, it's just books. Yep. For goodness sake, Cheap they those. don't need any special equipment. Mm. So it's it's a complete rip-off mm. is what it is. Mm. I agree. And it's subsidising the other more expensive degrees, isn't it? They're uh, penalising. That is the whole point. They've already said that. that mm. They're penalising yeah. uh, uh, arts degree uh, students mm-hmm. and funnelling that ill-gotten gains towards um, the, the people who will pr- more likely go on to very high-paid jobs. Mm. This is the thing that I find really distressing about this is that they've got it broken up into three or four tiers. Anyway, commerce, which is what I'm a graduate of, was down there in the third tier at eleven and a half grand a year. Right. You know, which is very expensive. Yeah. You know. Hmm. And that's a job ready degree. Exactly. One would have thought so. Hmm. Don't know what the reason was there. Anyway. Got two things to talk about with this uh, humanities degrees, and this one here um, is by Daniel Gregory, writing in the John Menadue blog. Um, and earlier this year, an eminent philosopher and former Pro Vice Chancellor of Cambridge University, Dr. H. Mellor, passed away, announcing his passing. A well-known blogger in the profession drew attention to the words he had written in opposition to the view that the humanities deliver nothing comparable to the immense improvements in health and standards of living which the sciences have made possible. 
The words were striking in part because Melor himself had trained as both a philosopher and an engineer. So Melor acknowledged the remarkable achievements of science, but added that these benefits, while still far from universal, are as widespread as they are, is due not to science but to social development, like the end of slavery, the protection of children, the spread of education, democracy and the rule of law, respect for human rights, fair and honest trade, and so on. These are products of developments not in science, but in the humanities, in ethics, economics, social, political, and legal theory, and in the arts, as in novels like Charles Dickens' Nicholas Nickleby, whose public impact destroyed schools like its dreadful Dothboys Hall. So good points there that, um, yes, the sciences are great in terms of um, scientific advances to our food, clothing, shelter. But when it comes to things like education, democracy, rule of law, respect for human rights, these are things that come out of the humanities. So uh, the humanities uh, makes up two unique contributions that help us better understand the momentous events of our communal and personal lives. And secondly, um, they remind us of what is horrible about humankind, according to this article. Um, For example, political philosopher Hannah Arendt, in her book about the trial of Adolf Eichmann, said, The trouble with Eichmann was precisely that so many were like him, and that the many were neither perverted nor sadistic, that they were, and still are, terribly and terrifyingly normal. So, like, these are all really interesting insights that are things that come out of the humanities. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yes, celebrate scientific achievements, but um, uh, it's important that we uh, look at history and philosophy and literature. Um, And it says also here in this part, governments must also remember that universities are meant to serve the whole community. This is why they should support the humanities, because the humanities do contribute to the whole whole community and critically they make contributions which they alone can make. So that's part one of uh, topics I've got here. And another one was from the ABC, an article by Rosemary Barnes, and she graduated with a degree, combined degree, engineering and arts, majoring in philosophy. And I'll paraphrase it here because I've read too much already, but basically she was saying, yes, the engineering degree gives you skills that make you job ready, um, but... Often those skills are quickly superseded and the things that you learnt at uni for your job-ready engineering, uh, a lot of that became obsolete within five or six years. Different CAD drawing programs or other specific things that you might learn sometimes became quickly obsolete in her view, whereas the humanities degree was quite long-lasting. And she said that in an engineering degree... Basically, the more time she spent studying a subject, the better grade she got. But in an arts degree, time wasn't the important thing. It was actually how good was the idea? Was it a good idea, a unique idea, a novel idea, well expressed? And that time spent knuckling down, understanding it wasn't so much the thing as as these other issues, which was a interesting contrast. Um, so she's saying, obviously, there are good points about both degrees, and she, holding 
both felt very strongly that the arts degree had a lot going for it, mm. having done both arts and engineering. So, um, so yeah, that was sort of in defence of the humble arts degree. I thought some good points were Very good that. points. She mm. made a very good defence of it. Mm. So... I don't think. Do any of you chaps disagree with? Uh, mm. that no, I don't disagree with any of it. The, the, the thrust of it's fine. Mm. Here we go. Well, I would just like to take Watley to task over something. If you could just yeah. roll back oh, up okay. there. Okay, what's Watley said? Uh, he said, "Business isn't a degree; it's a course in cheating, lying, and swindling." Oh, Watley. Watley, I am not a liar. I'm not a cheat, and I'm not a swindler. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Not good. yet. Good point. <laughs> Good point, yeah. So here we go. Kobe says, is business a humanities, humanities degree? degree? Lots What's of international students there, or does it apply to domestic students? Well, business degree, there's two types, isn't there? There's just a general business communications degree. Yeah, which, which is probably a little bit more humanities than anything else. And then there's a business accounting degree. Which is which, what I did, yes. Which is what qualifies you to become an, you know, get... A stepping stone to a CPA. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and they're quite different. Accounting piece, really. doesn't really fit into either camp very well, does it? It's You would have shared of, a lot of electives, but no, the accounting you, you side sh- had a lot of bank reconciliations and yeah, I mean, double entry yeah. bookkeeping rules and tax and well, there other only, things. Well, there were only four accountings. No, there was one, two, three... Four, five, Stats. six subjects that I did, which were just pure accounting subjects. Mm. Then there was business statistics. There was computing, which I did two or three, two subjects in computing. And then there was tax, law, business law, that sort of shit. So there was, mm. it was different. I think. Sorry, I think it'd be quite a big difference between a business accounting degree and a business. Yeah, communications I, I, I think the business yeah. accounting degree probably you, you went into that mm. because you wanted to become an accountant. Mm. So that was where you and were. you learned some specific job-ready skills. Exactly. Yeah. So that was the whole point. That was a very job-ready skill. That was a very job-ready mm. degree. Business communications, I don't know where you would go out and get a job with that. But, mm. you know, clearly they get jobs with it. Mm. So Here's another thought for you. We'll finish with this one because I was talking mm. to a mate of mine about uh, – with COVID and lockdowns and the number of doctors who come out with um, theories on on all of this, and we tend to sort of go, well, it's a doctor, they must you know know what they're talking about. And he was saying that really a medical degree should be looked at as a vocational degree because he was saying you're really learning very specific um, job-ready skills about anatomy and drugs and treatment and compared to other degrees like a true humanities degree where you are required to research, analyse, compare, contrast, write reports, look at nuance, you know, all those sorts of things. You're saying, yeah, really, medical degree is you're just like a mechanic learning how to tinker with a guitar. It's, with a car. It's quite a vocational-based degree. It's not actually good training for writing scientific articles, if you like, mm. because you don't do a lot of that in a medical degree. So any uh, 
doctors out there in the chat room, please feel free to contradict, but mm. that's just a way and, of looking at it as a... And as what a about dentistry? I haven't thought about that as a degree. It strikes me as dentistry mm. is a very much a vocational be, yes. uh, course as well. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, when I did law, it was very vocational-based. There wasn't nearly the sort of ethical conundrum type of discussion that I would have hoped for yeah, in hindsight. I would, have it thought, was, I would have expected in a law degree you would get much. ethics, wouldn't you? A little bit in criminal law. There was talking about the principles of sentencing with recidivism and mm. punishment and Did you study and the, those things the history up, of uh, the British legal system? You do really? need a basic of that, but you really learn it just to understand the validity of the constitution that then led to the other laws. It was mm. there wasn't a lot of discussion in terms of ethical conundrums and and rights of that you might expect. It was quite a job ready type degree. But mind you, I did it at QUT, which was kind of that was their thing, was it was like a job ready uh, that's degree, part of the as opposed to a sandstone yeah. UQ which was supposedly a little bit more Upper level theoretical. Traditional, yeah. yeah. Do you so, think your course would have been improved mm, by having more mm, courses in mm, ethics and philosophy? I don't know. I don't know. But um, Julia in the chat room says, son is doing a medical degree now, can tell you they do analysis and report writing, ethics reports, etc. but they're not the same as a research paper, of course. So, well, there we go. There's a contrary. Thank you. Um, they have to l- learn how to, to, to write with uh, it. Illegible handwriting, yeah, that's too, don't true. they? Yeah, that's, that's true. The specialty of the yeah. profession. Yeah, and um, Mel says I have a physiotherapy degree, which was the same as med for two years, definitely vocational. So uh, there we go. Well, chat room, I congratulate you this week. You guys have been going hard at it. Thank you very much for your contributions. We, we actually some... hit a hundred messages. We got yeah, a, an well, alert. Yeah, I mentioned that when you just left. Yeah, so um, so that's good. Uh, next week. Ah, you know, we might look at the time frame. If it's sort of, if if Wednesday night is likely to know the Trump result, it might be tempting to do it then. Mm. I don't know. I would have thought so. But we won't have probably won't have complete probably not. Would we? I'll just do a little. It depends. If it's going to be a landslide election victory Mm. to Biden, then we probably will have results. If it's going to be one of those things that goes right down to the wire, we're probably but not going not to go for Tuesday a week. Night, it's so. going to go to the Supreme Court. Yes. Yeah, it'll probably go to the Supreme Court before it gets decided in the end, but we'll have to wait and see where it, the vote turns It might out. be tempting to do it Wednesday night. I'm just not sure. Keep yeah. an eye. If you're not following the Facebook page, you should be because that's where announcements will be made if we decide to change it to Wednesday. At this stage, Tuesday, but... Um, There's a possibility a, it could be Wednesday. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But um, anyway, most likely Tuesday, but we'll see. Right, dear listener, thanks for tuning in. Um, Kaby in the chat room said, might be full on civil war by then. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Right. um, Thanks for listening. We'll be with you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye now. Bye, everyone. Cheers, Earl. No form of sexual depravity is too low for me. Animal, vegetable or mineral, I'll do anything to anything. Fine words for a bishop. Yes, I to hear the church speaking out for a change on social issues. Fiend, <laughs> never have I encountered such corrupt and foul-minded perversity. 
Have you ever considered a career in the church? <laughs> no, I can never get used to the underwear. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.